0: Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy. Discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. All right. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Randy, how's it going?
1: Hey, Jake, I'm doing good. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing wonderful. Uh, so I hear you're jamming today.
1: Yes, I am going to go indoors and I will be jamming with the beast uh, as always. And uh, I'm sure we'll have some others. Any day that I'm on my way to go jam is a good way to start the day. So <laughs> very happy about that.
0: Yes, I'm jealous I'm not jamming until tomorrow.
1: One thing I wanted to mention was the last couple polls that were put out on Frisbee Guru got all sorts of comments and lots of feedback. One was like, have you ever done a demo? And I was amazed at how many people had uh, responded to that and and then the one that really surprised me was like what's the longest time you've taken off from from jamming and i was amazed at how many folks responded to that too so cool to see all the engagement that's really all i wanted to say that nice to see the the content we're putting out there for frisbee gurus getting folks engaged and talking about jamming
0: yeah definitely we all have stories to tell and we all love this sport and it's really nice to have one place to to come and, and share Uh, So today on the docket, we have um, Matteo Godoni to talk to him a a little bit about his journey winning two FPA World's Pairs titles, one with Tom Leitner and one with Arthur Coddington. So let's listen. So Matteo, did your philosophy of the game change at all between playing with Rodney in 2004 and winning your first world title in 2009?
2: Yes, well, it's not from Rodney, but it's uh, the evolution, the evolution of my mentality, my mindset uh, had an evolution. In the beginning I was just playing for fun and enjoying all events for meeting everybody and playing jamming the more that I can play uh, until night and then in the morning jamming earlier again with everybody and so the competition itself was not that strong was not that focused year by year I felt that I was ready I was I had the skills for getting into the finals and maybe into the podium and so i started on being a little bit more conservative on the events not jamming and devastating muscles until night and then yes another thing is on focusing on the team and this is something i really learned on uh, tommy and arthur on two sides but how important is to build your team and to get confident when you enter the semifinals and then the finals, how do you get ready and how do you can get stress or not from your partner and get uh, in a good, positive uh, attitude?
1: Uh, Just so that folks out there know the timing and who you were playing with. So your first world title was in 2009 with Tom Leitner. And so you're talking about how you prepared with Tommy and how he helped you understand that process from playing in the prelims to the semis and the finals and to how to pace yourself. So is that correct?
2: Yes, yes. And, and also uh, Tommy is very uh, special uh, on events and he's a very good guy. I love to play with him, but it can, be, it can stress you uh, if you're not ready to handle uh, in a good way. But uh, I focused on that very much. I was uh, trying to be the best partner for Tommy in that world championship. Also, when you play the routine, I, uh, I was trying to make a safe catch for having him uh, go big uh, instead of uh, risking maybe too much and having a drop and then making me nervous on the next one. That's, uh, it's a very little example, but it's something like that.
1: I think that's a really interesting perspective in that you decided to let Tommy do the heavy lifting and then you kind of let your game build during the process of the routine where you probably got more confidence and you could let it go more. Right out of the gate, you kind of let Tommy lead you a little bit.
2: Yes, yes. I wanted him to lead. I I tried to make him the more confident as possible in the, the time before the routine and everything and the next the, the the funny thing is the next year was Arthur trying to do something like that with me and that was very special
1: let's go back i don't want to leave 2009 yet with your first win with Tommy so can you describe the experience when they announced the results and they're going fifth place fourth place do you remember that moment not that much not not really
2: not really i i remember I remember the feeling of the routine, uh, how we went, how we entered the field, how we got, went off the field, how we felt playing that routine. I don't remember the awarding ceremony as well, actually. How, do,
0: how did you feel you guys did when you did the routine?
2: Yeah, I, I, I felt very good. Uh, that that was uh, was meaning. The, the, the routine went well. Uh, everything went wrong, but went well. <laughs> <laughs> the wind was ugly, and we managed. We were able to pull through pretty much everything. It was horrible wind, horrible condition, but we were flowing into the music. I loved the feeling of that routine. Excellent.
0: That's always one of the best feelings when you walk up the field and you did yes, exactly what yes. you set out to do. It's just so satisfying. Yes, very much.
2: And on uh, on freestyle, I uh, I never push it uh, expectation or results on scores. I, I don't know. I I prefer to, f- to stay on my feelings. Mm-hmm.
1: So you know what's interesting, I'm just uh, uh, reflecting back. So in 2009, I remember those conditions in Berlin, they were really horrible, but I played with Tommy and Arthur, which ended up being your partner in 2009, and then Arthur was your partner in 2010. So Tommy Leitner and Arthur Coddington and I did co-op in Berlin that year yeah yeah,
0: I remember so in 2010 you won again with Arthur so you defended your open pairs title I think I don't remember there's only a handful of people who've been able to do that and you did it with two different partners so how was the experience different in 2010 versus 2009
2: Uh, 2010 was totally different it was a a year of revolution for me I left my old long time relation and i was uh, living now with two dogs and alone so i had to leave my dogs uh, at a friends home Uh, and it was a very special holiday for me for me at that time in seattle and arthur was a very good friend for me on that on that page on that
0: moment so in 2009 did you and tommy Prepare? Did you have a full routine planned out?
2: Yes, we we played. We met uh, different weeks, uh, a few weeks. One time in Folly, one time in Rome, and then I don't remember. I think we had also uh, Paganello together. Uh, yeah, we had time.
1: We had time to work it out. And did you have a routine prepared with Arthur the next year?
2: Yeah, with Arthur we played in Paganello, but. Uh, we had no time to work out a routine uh, seriously. But we had time to watch our game. And we already knew each other for a long time. We played, we jammed, uh, we loved to to play together. And I was sending him a lot of videos. He was building my game at that time. So when we met 10 days before the World Championship, it was a super rain. And the the plan was to build up the routine and plan everything. And the truth was we jammed and we played. And we barely listened the music and the cues on the music. (laughs) We ended up uh, building the routine uh, in two days, like Monday and Tuesday, and then driving uh, to Seattle on Wednesday. The real uh, first time we
1: played the music into the routine, the four minutes, was the semifinals.
0: Wow. Wow, that's amazing.
1: So did your confidence level change from 2009 once you had won that first title? Did you feel that confidence build and grow in 2010, that you were a little more willing to go for it uh, in in the routine?
2: Mm, not, not really. Not, not that
1: much. What, what, what changed? It, it was the partner. You wanted to use the same game plan that you had with Tommy and apply that same uh, way with Arthur, since it was so effective with Tommy. You didn't want to change your approach.
2: Yes, I. Uh, yes, I don't. I didn't want to uh, uh, change my approach on expectation from the competition. I tried my best. But on the other side, having to play with a multiple world champion uh, like Arthur and coming from winning a world championship was putting pressure on me, of uh, okay. course. So uh, I tried uh, to don't feel that stress uh, uh, because I had a great partner and that was, that was the, <laughs> the solution for that. Uh, It was, I think, the best partner uh, a player could have in that World Championship.
0: So, Matteo, are you still freestyling?
2: Yes, I'm trying to to keep up with freestyle. It's not easy uh, because of the time, because of the time mainly, because of the dogs. Uh, Having dogs uh, at home and ready to play, willing to play, uh, it's really... Uh, taking my time, most of my time, free time for them. But I, I try to play in the winter time, especially I'm able to play a little bit more because in the dark, I don't like to play with dogs. And so when it's winter time, I play a little bit more with Chega.
1: Well, this might be a good dovetail into your disc dogging. We know you're an accomplished disc dogger and you won the disc dog Skyhound Worlds in 2013, so can you talk a little bit about how you started disc dogging and how that experience of disc dogging might apply to freestyle?
2: Yes, so the disc dog bug entered in 2006 in Berlin, it was the World Championship and it was a show by Jochen and I saw these dogs playing with him in a beautiful way, it was very nice to see gorgeous view. And I was amazed. I was impressed. I never forget that. Coming back home, I was still living with my parents. I was not able to get a dog. But I was uh, infected. So I tried with the dog from my, pa- my father. But it was a hunting dog and was not really working out. And then in 2009, I was moving. I, I, wa- I moved. And I was living with my girlfriend. Uh, I I went out and I went for a border collie. Spike was my first dog. I was really uked and I was looking, waiting. I, I was not able to wait anymore for, for playing with the dog. And I know uh, I knew that it was n- not sure that you 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 buy a puppy and he's going to play, be ready for playing at, at this dog but uh, I expected uh, anyway to have a dog. Uh, I love the Border Collies. I had that dog spike in 2009. And then 2009 and 2010, I was keeping up pretty much both. But when I got the second dog was overwhelming the time for dogs versus freestyle.
0: So how many dogs do you have now?
2: Uh, Actually, I'm living with six dogs. (laughs) dogs. Three are with me, and three are from Beta, which is my girlfriend. And I play and compete with two of them, and Elisabetta, my girlfriend, competes with one of them. Pike is not competing anymore; he's retired now. And then I have a new one, uh, trying to get ready, maybe for the next season.
0: So you have. Spike, who's retired, and you have Flower. Yes. Did Flower win Skyhounds with you?
2: Yes, Flower is the dog I rescued in 2010. She won the World Championship in 2013 in Chattanooga, and then the World Championship uh, of UFO Series in Switzerland in 2014.
0: And then your third dog, what's his or her name?
2: Is Skip, uh, like the throw, and he's uh, the rescue that I got now for two years. And maybe he's getting ready. We did some competition, but he's really not competitive, uh, not yet, maybe for the next season. So is Flower still your, your main partner in competition? Yes, Flower is still my favorite, <laughs> also in the life, because she's really lovely, and we pet very much together. <laughs> and, uh, but I also compete with Bill, which is the dog from Beta. And
1: he's also doing very well now. So what is it like to travel with the dogs? I mean, you said you won your first the Skyhounds in 2013 in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So Flower had to come across the pond with you. How did that work out?
2: Uh, Yeah, that's a very hard part. It's not easy to fly over with the dog. For some dogs, I would not recommend it. But for some dogs, uh, it's okay. They can handle it. Are there some we, we,
1: airlines that are better than other airlines? Yes,
2: yes, yes. We, there are very few but very good companies we we trust uh, in the this dog world. We know who, how to manage. So how often do you practice with the dogs? If you want to have a good dog in the field, it has to be a dog a good dog at home as well. So we uh, we train obedience at home and we walk the dogs in the morning, uh, we walk the dogs at night, and we go to the seaside with the dogs and that kind of stuff. What I mean is the dog is not a tool we use to play, is our partner for life. And to have a good dog in competition, it has to have a good balance, a good mindset. It has to not be crazy. So it has not be only focused on frisbee. So we don't train that much frisbee. We walk, we run, we swim, we do balancing tricks, and then we play sometimes.
0: Interesting, I would have thought the complete opposite. I would have thought you'd play frisbee with the dogs constantly. I like
2: Um, the balance. Yes, I love the balance. I love to find the balance. Of uh, things. And also, we, the, especially with border collies, but it, it happens with more, a lot of dogs. Uh, we build routines and they can learn routines. And what it can happen and with fast dogs and super motivated dogs, what it can happen is that the dogs start to anticipate your routine and your timing because of the excitement of the game. I also like to jam with the dogs, to teach them on different paths and not having only the routine fixed on their minds.
0: Right, because you don't want them to anticipate, do you?
2: Yeah, and I want to get them ready for some, maybe something, uh, uh, some plan change on the game happening. Okay. And this is something that I also always use in freestyle. This is something that I brought from freestyle to this dog. The capability of switching from plan, scheduled plan to go for the catch, save it, or something like that, plan B.
1: You did the form first and then you brought spontaneous play later.
0: Yes,
2: yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Into the competitivity.
0: So is that something that you brought into the disc dog world or do other people do that?
2: I think uh, I, 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 what I try to bring it, I try to share it, uh, and I think everybody's trying to find a balance. Everybody's trying to find their balance on, on their way, on their own way.
0: What are some similarities between freestyle frisbee with humans and disc dog competition?
2: Uh, not very much.
0: Very different? <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I watch some of I- your routines, and you do, you're doing a lot of freestyle tricks with your dogs in your disc dog routines.
2: Well, I'm doing brushes, uh, body rolls. I was using a nail delay. I'm not using nail delay anymore, uh, actually. So I'm not using freestyle really much. What I used from freestyle was the experience on competition, on getting ready for compete, on the mindset for competition. Uh, That was built up in freestyle, on getting not stressed on the competition, on getting myself ready for doing only my best and then the capability of jamming on uh, on being ready to improvise uh, and not scared of the crowd of or or the judges which helped me into the uh, competitive side of this dog.
1: So you said that you don't do much freestyle uh, anymore with your disc dogging or you, you don't do it as much you came into disc dogging as a world champion freestyler. So I would have thought that that would have been something you really brought to the table for disc doggers. But I'm curious, is freestyle tricks frowned upon in the disc dog world? Like do they not like it when people are doing tricks that take attention or focus away from the dog?
0: Yes, yes,
2: exactly. I think, um, I, I don't, I'm not bringing that much freestyle because I think that, the dog is should what we want to showcase. So what I'm trying to do is the best throw for my dog in the best time and nail delay or my trick catch are not helping or not improving the timing or the positioning of the game for my dog. We want to showcase the dog and when I stop the dog for doing a trick is not that fun for my point of view. I use, of course, the skill of the spin, (laughs) of the Z, of of having a good wrist flip for doing a toss, a nice toss uh, for a sidearm, for a backhand, for an overhand, Uh, but uh, the throws are are not that common in freestyle. So uh, I had to train that, especially in this dog, we have a very different disc, very small, very, very
1: light, understable very different. I would have thought just initially that, oh, I would bring my freestyle game and improve that performance with the dog. And Mateo, you're basically saying that, no, you want to focus on the dog and less on the freestyle tricks and that don't really, they don't really match together with what you're trying to accomplish as a disc dog competitor.
2: Yes, yes. The, the, for, for having a nice timing, you need that, a, a nice throw, uh, a, a nice release. Not a nail delay under the leg like pass or a juice uh, or uh, bad attitude. I mean, I'm using the bad attitude skill, but for the overhand wrist flip, I'm doing an overhand wrist flip
1: on my bad attitude. Well, when I, in some of the disc dog stuff that I've seen on YouTube, I've seen the dogs really being incorporated with using the person's bodies, like jumping through legs and jumping off of their back. And so it's not really doing freestyle moves with the disc, but more doing freestyle with your body and how the dog moves around your body.
2: Yes. The, 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 competition in this dog, uh, three judges, Three categories, usually, commonly. We have different uh, formats, but the roots of the idea is pretty much the same. One judge uh, looking at the human, one judge looking at the dog, and one judge looking at the team. So, for the human, throwing skills and uh, capability on the disc and the communication with the dog, of course, but the variety is on the throws, on the releases uh, that can do and can handle and for the dog is the jumping uh, the motivation the speed uh, the uh, that kind of stuff and for the team they look we look for the communication the bond together and how they present everything if they cover the field if they uh, move over all around the field if they stay in one center only one center of the field uh, if they use different variety of throws and different speeds at different aids and to, to showcase all you can do with your dog. And if I start up with uh, behind the back or an, or an under the leg, my tricks are not showcasing anything different for my dog. The dog is always catching maybe a da or a dump or an a delay pass at the end.
1: I remember seeing a video uh- this may not apply or you, you may not know who this person is, but it was a a fellow from Japan and he was doing this dog and he was doing some of the most amazing stuff, incorporating the dog through like hoops that he was doing and building bridges with his body. And the dog was just really flying around his body to get just a light toss up in the air. So it had nothing to do with really freestyle, but he was, it was the, the way that they moved together and the different bridges and wickets and hoops that he was creating for the dog to go through was really amazing. Do you know of this Japanese fellow that I speak of? Yes, yes, yes. I know.
2: It's one of the most famous videos of this dog you're talking about, I think. Uh, And this is a topic in this dog world. Uh, We have people pushing more on uh, we call, I call it dog dancing, where, where there is no throws, no catch, no disc in the air. But it's just showcasing the team moving together, which is nice. But from my point of view, it should not get that much over on the competition because we want to we wanna see dog catching a, a, a disc and a human throwing a disc to a dog. And on the other side, uh, also the variety of the throws or uh, the nail delay or the attempt to go crazy on the releases or the creativity from the human side sometimes happens to put the dog uh, not the best uh, showcase uh, situation. So um, this is my
1: balance where I play my balance game now. So it sounds like there's a, a dialogue going on in the disc dog community about either too much disc or not enough disc. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. Do you have anything you want to add, Matteo, about disc dogging that we maybe have not discussed that you would like to share? Uh, just a little thing, yes. What, what is really special and different
2: in, and common uh, in disc dog and freestyle is the building of the team how the team can build up or not. <laughs> uh, this is very special in uh, this dog because your team your your team is building up and is building up for the lifetime. Something that I'm really enjoying now. I was looking in
1: freestyle but it was not easy to find uh, always a, a good solution. Yeah, so you are you talking like chemistry? in the sense of chemistry between you and the dog and chemistry between a freestyle partner. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. I definitely have had better chemistry with some dogs than some freestyle partners. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was great. I'm so glad that Mateo shared his disc dog uh, experience with us because I really didn't know much about that world and you know how the competitions are shaped and how they're formed. And one thing that I thought was really fascinating is that, they have their own judging struggles, um, like we do. And probably every sport, any sport that's trying to do some kind of competition format seems to have some issues about what's pure and what isn't pure. And, you know, interesting to hear them having their struggles of too much dog, not enough dog, too much disc, not enough disc, too much human, not enough dog. That was kind of cool to hear him expand on that.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, I think just like freestyle frisbee disc dogging as an art form and uh everyone has their own take on it so it really doesn't matter i mean you really can't say this is the right version or that is the right version everyone's going to have their own perspective on what the right version is so the judging system is never going to capture the absolute correct version because it doesn't exist <laughs>
1: yeah and i think one of the things of doing this podcast is really opened my eyes up to that you know my way is not the way it's a way but it's not the way and so i have a lot more empathy for how folks see it through their eyes
0: Totally. Actually, it's uh, my perspective has changed a lot too during this podcast. So anyhow, before we sign out, I just wanted to uh, say, hey, Randy, we're getting close to being in this podcast for a year. How cool is that? Ah,
1: that's crazy. I cannot believe that we've been doing this for a year.
0: So. Uh, In celebration of that year, we're going to be launching a new way for people to engage and support and join us on this journey. Uh, The teaser word is Patreon, so if you're curious, do a Google search for that. I think it's going to be really exciting. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Me too. And uh, on that note, I'll talk to you next week.
0: Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with